This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This is The Property Show and I'm Mark Tan. Rapid urbanization has taken place over the last decade in the country, resulting in various urban issues that adversely impact the living quality of people, such as floods, congestion, pollution, lack of affordable housing units, connected public transport network, and access to affordable healthcare. Can smart cities, an IT-originated concept, transform a city to be more sustainable and livable as we move towards SDG 2050? Today, we speak with Grish Ramachandran, Executive Director, 27 Group, a Malaysian-based boutique consultancy firm focusing on innovation, transformation and project delivery in the built environment, food security and natural capital. Good morning, Girish. Good morning, Mark. Now, the concept of smart city has been around since the 1990s and in the early days, it was very much IT-driven to improve urban living. But after 30 years, how has the concept evolved? And today, are we talking about smart green city instead? Yes, thank you for having me and BFM, Mark. Yeah, so smart cities and and, uh, what we call sustainable cities or or circular cities, as the latest terminologies are coming out, are really around combining technology with ESG, really. And this is around having more uh, urban challenges dealt with in the cities with very clear technologies or processes that need to shift the way we're living and learning and eating and and working in our cities. You notice I didn't say living in the cities because it's becoming too expensive for us to live in the cities that we have to live outside. So lots, lots going on here. And I think it's, it's something that we need to keep an eye on as planners and uh, economic modelers. We see a lot of shift happening in, in uh, how governments as well as private sector are dealing with this concept. Technology is here to stay, and I think we have to embrace it. It's not easy because uh, we have to sort of go through a change process when we uh, adopt technology. But the power of technology is something we cannot ignore. And for cities, for us to have a better quality of life in cities, this is the way forward. Technology to deal with ESG issues, really. And, and of course, the ultimate SDGs. Now, which are the cities around the world that would serve as a leading benchmark for us to follow and in your opinion, what would be the key takeaways from Malaysia? So I think Malaysia is, is quite a unique city. And we find a lot of MNCs when they want to come into Asia, they actually set up shop in Malaysia to do their market research. Because you've got that multi-culture, uh, you've got the multi-generations, and also you've got a fantastic blend of, of the world, really. So to compare Malaysia with a European city, which have all got very high high rankings on indicators, uh, Oslo, uh, Zurich, uh, Canberra, uh, to name a few, uh, may not be the right way to do it. But these are the few that have very strong indicators. And, and there are tons of indicators out there. I was quite fortunate when, when I was in Arcadis, we actually set up the Sustainable Cities Index. And that was the first. And we developed it into a smart index as well. And what we realized was Malaysia sort of hovers around, or Kuala Lumpur, if I were to say, hovers around um, rankings of about, you know, 50 to 80 out of, say, 200 
potential, right? And really, some of the indicators have gone the other way around in the last few years. Yeah, and of course, COVID has disrupted everything. If you look closer to us, I think South Korea has got some interesting case studies. And of course, uh, Singapore, being, being a really a district rather than a country, has got quite a bit of technologies uh, infused into making them smart. If we look at probably a place that I would go to now and really understand what's going on, it's China. Yeah, mm-hmm. and in the last seven years, technology has been super adopted by the citizens, you know, from security cameras to, you know, uh, looking at the way you have e-payments, walking in and out of shops without seeing a human being. And all of those things are in the smallest cities in China right now. Yeah, it's not just the Beijings and the Shanghai. So I think we've got some good examples. Um, Seattle, Copenhagen, uh, those are the other ones that I think have got more uh, sustainable circular circular components uh, embedded into their city planning and their their reports. So you've mentioned a few cities. So what are the challenges Malaysia must address to start and succeed in this journey? So we've got a couple of problems in Malaysia with planning because you've got federal, state and local. Yeah, and our taxes essentially are sitting in federal. Yeah, and state taxes are, are limited to land. And you've got the, the PBTs or the local uh, district councils who are really underfunded. Mm. Yeah, so that's the challenge number one. How, how do we roll out technology rollout, for example? You know, how do we, you know, zap all our streets with some safety security cameras? And if we don't solve the policy levels and funding, none of this can happen. Yeah, so for example, DBKL can control Kuala Lumpur, Wilayah Persekutuan because they've got their own autonomy. Mm-hmm. But if you look at Johor, for example, and if you look at some of the PBTs in Johor, and you look at state, and then you have federal, you know, without federal money, it's going to be difficult because the revenue base is just not strong enough. Yeah, and just drive around uh, PJ, for example, and and you will notice, you know, to resurface the roads, to have proper uh, public toilets, all that costs money. So I think it's that revenue model that needs a complete overhaul first. The second is really around data, right? So smart cities, sustainable cities, circular cities are about data. And these rely on simple IoT devices that are placed on uh, wherever you want to place it, which gives you that information. So that infrastructure needs to be put into place. And and it's not cheap, but it is a long-term social infra that is mandatory right now. Yeah, the other aspects are around uh, social and cultural considerations. We are a melting plot of different people, you know, different cultures. And sometimes it's difficult to plan a city because you have such varied requirements here, opposed to, you know, uh, countries, uh, say, say some of the European countries where it's quite clear. Yeah. Uh, the last part is really around uh, SIPA, which is awareness of the city. And, and I think we need to have more focus around the word urbanization. Yeah, we are, we are seeing rapid urbanization, but we're not seeing people being more happier in a city. So in Japan, they have something called Society 5.0, which really looks at bringing in the human aspect of uh, technology adoption and so on. You know, age aging population, and there's a lot of social issues we've seen, especially post-COVID, you know, mental health has gone up. And how do we deal with all of this in, in the city? And uh, it's a very important uh, aspect for us to include in our planning, 
you know, whether it's workspace or whether it's uh, streets that are safe or whether it's just the ability for people to interact with each other more. Now, you also mentioned two interesting points, which is, you know, between technology and social demographics, it keeps on changing and that probably makes it very challenging for urban planners to plan moving a smart city. So what's the new emerging trends have you already observed that could become mainstream in the next 10 years? Yeah, so we see, um, I think 5G is essentially um, being rolled out now as we speak. And I don't think we've really uh, explored the potential of uh, 5G in Malaysia. In uh, I, I believe DNB have got case studies and the experience centers coming out. But that is one. We've got to put in the IoTs, like I mentioned, and data analytics are crucial, especially for energy efficiency and sustainable infrastructure. The other components are really around uh, energy transition. Yeah, the renewable energies. What can we do with? Uh, with what can we do more with uh, energy efficient buildings? I think out, out of all our buildings in KL, I think less than fifteen percent are actually energy efficient. So we've got a long way to go there. The other ones that in larger townships we have seen uh, quite a bit of uh, planning work being looked at is smart grids. So smart grids are very powerful because you become a wholesale uh, aggregator of whether it's water, electricity, uh, internet, and you basically resell it depending on demand and so on. So this requires policy change, but we have also seen some fantastic news with Tanaga National recently on their whole, you know, their own energy transition, and they've slated a whole lot of money to do this. Of course, autonomous uh, vehicles and electric vehicles would be in this components, but we think it's not going to happen as fast as we think. Infrastructure needs to be put into place. You know, our basic road networks, uh, we've got some fantastic highways, but when you come to last mile, we, we're sort of like uh, missing a lot of connection. Public transit and transport, we have seen Sarawak rolling out the art, uh, uh, sort of a BRT-LRT combination. And that's interesting because this is the first time you've got uh, state government, you know, investing and using, you know, latest technology to deal with public transport and coaching, you know. And that's quite interesting. Uh, the other ones are around waste management and recycling technologies. This is something that we feel strongly about, and I think we've got huge amount of uh, waste going into landfills. And you know, we've got SW Corp doing a fairly good job of trying to make all this happen, but they're not in every state because of you know, policies again. Mm -hmm. um, so really, the, the technologies, working with entrepreneurs to deal with issues in a city, I think that's how we should be approaching technology. All right. On the property show this morning is Girish Ramachandran, Executive Director, 27 Group. When we come back from the break, we'll look at the government's role, key success factors, and private sector contribution. This is BFM 89.9. Welcome back to the property show where we have Girish Ramachandran, Executive Director, 27 Group, a Malaysian-based boutique consultancy firm focusing on innovation, transformation, and project delivery in the built environment, food security, and natural capital. Before the break, we look at smart cities, new technologies and challenges for Malaysia. We understand that the government is exploring a national smart city development footprint. What frameworks, roadmaps and policies does the government need to set out? So, Mark, I think uh, we, we are a country that has too many blueprints. Yeah, and, and I think uh, the first thing we need to do is move blueprints into implementation of policies, programs and projects and put someone's name next to it, put a deadline, give them some money and monitor it. That's crucial. 
all we need to do is that. I think there are enough blueprints out there on everything out there from the sustainabilities. Um, we're, we're working right now on the circular economy blueprint uh, on solid waste. And there's also uh, huge amounts of work that has been done. Um, the areas that I would think we need to focus on um, are really around uh, uh Ability to fund initiatives, I think that is important. Um, we, we, we saw uh, the recent announcements on the WTE, for example, the waste, waste to energy uh, incinerators, and there's been a huge amount of opposition from residents about, you know, where, why, why is it happening in this place and so on. So really, we, we got to be very careful about uh, sensitivities of, of uh, social dimension as well, especially when you're putting uh, something that deals with, you know, waste, waste uh, diversion and so on. Um, so it's important for us to focus on the money side. I think the money side is something very important. And, and you know, with, with our uh, national debt at, at its peak right now, the ability for us to go out there and fund some of this may be challenging. So it's really around reallocation of our existing uh, OE and DE budgets and looking at private sector through public-private partnerships uh, to come in and look at how this can be done working together with the policymakers. The other aspect is really around research and innovation. I think we, we should, you know, uh, uh, we, we heard our PMX talk about, uh, you know, creating 500 startup, 5,000 startups uh, in the short term. You know, to me, this is a, this is a fantastic move. And we got to have more startups in the space of smart, circular, sustainable cities and, and open up these APIs, you know. So you have a sensor that, for example, uh, water measures, you know, water quality or air quality. And how do I sell that? on to smaller entrepreneurs who take that information, build something around it, and, and create a better quality of life. The last component is, is really around data governance. I think with, with a lot of uh, you know, IoT sensors and data that we're collecting, that whole, uh, you know, on top of cybersecurity, it's really around who owns the data. And it's, it's, you know, it's my view that the data should be owned by the government. And then you've got private sector that comes in and, and uses it or leases it, uh, or leases that data and does things with it. Now, you mentioned earlier on, you know, that we have too many blueprints. And sometimes it's just about putting the right minister or the right KSU into that particular project to make sure that, that person is in charge of the project, they can drive it and ultimately be held accountable for it. So in the context of smart city, which ministry should actually be leading the charge? Okay, so so this is a tough one because um, uh, if you look at the four IR and Nagara and the My Digital, they've now combined that into one committee that's chaired by the PM. Um, it's multi-ministerial, right? And when we talk about a city, you 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 you're talking about nineteen agencies and ministries involved. Yeah, so how do you put them together and work? But I think I think the models are varied. You have you have those uh, very strong cities that are driven by the mayor. The mayor of the city essentially becomes the champion, and and essentially, you know, how, how do we elect a mayor? Uh, I'm not going to go on that line, <laughs> but re- but really, it's it's a super qualification, right? right? It's it's somebody who really needs to know how to put people together, bring the money, uh, cut deals, and get project implemented uh, quickly on the ground. So so people is is very important. I think larger policies can still be done at ministerial level 
Um, I don't think it needs to go to the prime minister's level because it, it may not work. Uh, but ministers uh, coming together with chief ministers, which is very important, especially with state government, and and looking at uh, uh, mayors at two levels, you know, and 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 I think we need to give them that recognition, you know, if they're if they're a sort of a mayor of a, a PBT, you know, um, which is quite thriving. I, it, it also gives them that personality where they can, you know, move up the ladder or so on. Right. So our government is very fond of public-private partnerships. And I can imagine that we will need a lot of private sector participation to make smart cities work. So how can our local corporates and business take advantage and leverage on this? Yeah, I think I think the PPPs are really, um, at, at this stage, you've got uh, sort of two types of PPPs in Malaysia. One is essentially a deferred payment with a coupon attached to it, which which is not really a PPP. It's just, um, you know, I need to pay you 100, but I pay you 120 over five years, you know. But but the cost of that interest is added on, which which is not the way to do it. Um, if you if you look at the real PPPs, are the ones that the risk is shared, yeah, and and to me it's really around pilots. I think we got to have pilots rather than going and spending you know two billion dollars on a massive project. How about a pilot that works in in a small area, and then grow that to a larger extent? I think those are important. The other aspect is really around um, looking at uh, data as as a revenue stream. I think this is something that we definitely can do with private sector. You know, um, in the entrepreneur space, we, we see huge amount of things happening with uh, city data right now. And, and it's very powerful data. But, but this is where government can also monetize this data. So put in the infra, collect the data and, and sell it. There's nothing wrong in selling data, but it's got to be done so that it's, it hits your number one aim of quality of life improvement for the citizens of the right of the city. And then it becomes very powerful because people are willing to give their data because, uh, for example, if I'm if I'm wa- walking into a car park at night or if my daughter is doing that and there are cameras out there and I want to be able to access that, knowing where she is or at least giving me that info, I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it. So, But who's going to put the cameras and mm-hmm. create that? That's where the private sector comes in. Right. At the end of the day, why is all this so important for countries to not only adopt a smart city concept, but also a circular economy which should help us achieve the 2050 sustainability goals? Yeah, it's, it's important because um, I, think, I think if we look at the wider mantra behind it, no, nobody is going to follow it in Asia. Yeah, the mentalities are very different. Uh, the more you earn, the more your quality of life improves, then you start to have a feeling towards all of this. But if you can't make the bills work at the end of the month and put food on the table, I think that that's more important than, than looking at all of this, what we're talking about. So really what we need to do is is create a, 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 a set of parameters where we want to have our next generation maybe, or even this generation to move them into uh, what we call uh, sustainable development goals. And when we look at the SDGs, it's really around people-centric. Yeah, And when you build cities, whether they're sustainable, smart or circular, you must look at the individuals who are experiencing the city. And that's that comes back to all of us, right? 
So, you know, your children, you know, my, my parents. And, and are they happy in a city? What would make them happier? It, it may be something small, but it can go a long way. Yeah, and there's, you, if you notice, even, even in KL, there are certain parts of KL or, or Selangor or Johor or Penang or Kuching or KK where you, you, you resonate with the space, you know, because of the energy, because of the way it's built. It may not be the smartest, it may not be the sustainable or the circular component, but it's really around people coming together. And when people come together, real estate developers make a lot of money. Yeah, right? Not the other way around. Yeah, It's all about people coming together, interacting. And, and we got to keep that in mind, right? We're human beings, you know. We, 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 we don't want a city full of robots walking around talking to each other, right? Yeah. Girish, thank you very much for your time. On The Property Show was Girish Ramachandran, Executive Director, 27 Group. This is BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.